The views expressed on the following broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT, Take 12 Radio, or our affiliates. The opinions on this show should not be considered as medical, psychological, or professional advice and are those of the host, co-host, and guest. Take 12 Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Mama says you're brain dead, bang your head against the wall. Peace of mind, brain needs an overhaul. Bonehead, brain dead, we're all the same. You can't think straight when your heart is in pain. Turn around, hit the ground, time to lay a burden down. And now, and now, joined by the Take 12 Recovery Radio family, it's your overly opinionated host, the Monty Man. Turn around, hit the ground, time to lay your burden down. Welcome one and all to a long-awaited episode of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show. We are back. Woo-hoo. We are back. Denver's here. Howdy. Margie's here. Hello. Marv. Yes, I am. Is here. <laughs> and I am your host, the Monty Man, still sucking air. Still uh, still breathing, still pumping blood after the old heart was stopped. They stop it. You know that, right? They stop your heart. So what I'm talking about, listeners, for those of you who don't know, <clears throat> is on November 8th, I had a very minor heart attack that did not cause any heart damage, but alerted us to the fact that three of my main tubular things going on around my heart were 90% blocked and had to have triple bypass heart surgery and uh, that is a process that uh, if you can avoid ever having that done you want to avoid it being done just let me tell you Uh, and so the show has been on hold this whole time Um, last week we brought back Brian Duncan's show uh, Radio Rehab The Road to Redemption and Monty Man's Meditorial, and now we're back on track with the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show uh, on Monday here in the studio. So this is actually the first time we've been back in the studio with all the co-hosts and myself and uh, my and Dave Fleming, who is now working at the Adult and Teen Challenge Center uh, as a CADC Level 2 counselor, drug and alcohol counselor. Um, but his show uh, is the third Monday of the month, Entitled to Overcome Solutions for Life Today, which will be next Monday. Uh, so we're back in the studio. How the heck are you guys? All smiling? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? We're, we are. <laughs> Is that what? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Marv. Yeah, are smiling. we? Yeah, right. you are smiling. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> If you, want it, if you want us to be, I see there's no camera. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. all smiling. So we need a new camera. And in order to... Um, to film the way we want to film, the kind of camera we need requires that we get a new computer because this computer can't handle the load of the new camera. So if you're watching on YouTube, you're getting some pictures, but you're not getting video, but you are getting the audio. So if that's how you'd like to listen to the show, that's great. Um, and Or you can listen on any of the podcasting platforms. We're on just about every one of them that are out there. Just search for us at Take 12 Recovery Radio. So this experience, I had several. Uh, I just want to say so so many people uh, on social media as well as cards and letters, thank you so much for your support, for your prayers. Uh, there were a, a, lot of, a lot of churches that had teamed up and were praying for me and my family. 
and that just means the world to us and uh, evidently God heard your prayers because I'm still kicking the weird news about this thing is that anywhere from 8 to 15 years they usually do this again mm-hmm. they got to reopen you up they, they, for those of you who don't know they cut open your sternum right and they crack it open and they go in there they stop your heart and they put you on a bypass machine that does all the work while they bypass your valves or your your blood vet or your arteries with veins from your leg and one of your other arteries in your neck and that kind of thing um and they just simply bypass the bad arteries with new ones but the veins that are in your leg aren't built to last like arteries are so those have to be replaced in 8 to 15 years normally hopefully technology will be different by then I, who knows uh, and so they have to crack you open and then they have to redo it I'm not looking forward to that <laughs> there's a little something at, at, to dwell at, on right a lot of that will have to do I mean I'm told that David Letterman had his triple quadruple bypass or whatever it was and it's been 22 years and he hasn't had to have it replaced so um, who knows right puts new meaning to the statement heart wrenching oh man <laughs> <laughs> uh. Where's my... Oh. (laughs) That's what I got to say about that. (laughs) But I'll tell you what. When something like this happens, your priorities change. And so I had several people say, talk about on the show uh, when you're back on what you learned from this. And and I'll tell you, I I think the biggest thing is, is probably... The things we take for granted, right? All of a sudden, those things become at the forefront. Just simple stuff, you know, like being able to walk up a stair, one stair. Um, privacy. <laughs> you have no privacy when you go in to have to do all the prep work for surgery like this. And you come to a place where you have to make a decision, I'm either going to fight this process or I'm just going to fully surrender to it. Be humble. Yeah. Because like Denver and I were talking previously to the, to the show today, they have to do a lot of prep work. I mean, a lot of prep work before you go into surgery, which requires you are in all of your glory on a cold, hard table with three female nurses and two male nurses and a razor. Because <laughs> bacteria grows on hair and they got to get it rid of all that stuff, right? And you, you you come to a point where you just say, you know what, I'm giving up. I, I just completely surrender this process. And once you actually do that, it's amazing the peace that comes over you. So I, I got to tell you, I was... I have never been so frightened in all my life because there's a 10% chance that you're not going to wake up. And that's a big percent as far as I'm concerned. And they go over all the risk factors, kidney failure, lung failure, pneumonia. I mean, all these things that can happen post-surgery, but the fact that there's a 10% chance you're not going to come out of it. you know. And so with the whole COVID thing, 
My wife couldn't come in that morning and say, say, you know, a prayer over me or say goodbye or any of that kind of stuff before I went into surgery. She had to do that the night before. And you realize that it's all in God's hands. And it, it was the night before the surgery, I had a peace come over me that I cannot express. I just can't. I, I don't know how to express it. It was just like a total calm. And that 100% came, came from the Lord. It, was, it didn't come from me. Because I have never been so frightened in all my life. I, you know, I basically was begging my wife, take me home. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. You know, but I knew that I had to. So, and she's like, you don't know how bad I want to just pack your bags and take you. But we both knew we couldn't do that. Um, yeah. So, and then if have, having had MRSA twice, when I had my hips replaced, you always worry about that. Well, that didn't happen. You know, so our days are numbered, folks. You know, and only God knows the day and the hour, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's not your time, it's not your time. Yep. Yeah. So um, I, I I learned that no matter how frightened I am, that if you're going to have total peace, you just got to surrender. You just got to give up and just say, you know what, God, I'm in your hands and it's going to be okay. And many of you uh, sent prayers and support and uh, even even financial gifts to help us because this is very expensive surgery. Oh, and then on top of it, 2020, right? On top of it, we come home and we have a rat infestation in our house. Oh, no. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, howdy. Yeah. So there's another $1,800 for oh the pest control guys to come out and redo all the vents and the door to the rebuild the door to the crawl space and do all the trapping and do all this other stuff. So they're coming on the 18th to do all that. So we, <laughs> we had that problem. We had a rat, a juvenile rat in our home who was very brave, by the way, got into our pantry and was able to nibble the edges of all the boxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't eat. They nibble. Well, you know what, though? We put down that sticky pad stuff. Yeah. He Ooh. avoided it somehow. Uh, we put down a poison box. I think he avoided that. But he got into the taco seasoning and <laughs> ate the whole thing. Uh, he, came, <laughs> he came from the south. And I think he died of heartburn. Because we found him dead in the pantry. <laughs> Bad taco sauce. My wife, I, I, I have never heard a scream as blood-curdling as when she saw that rat. This thing was big, man. It was the size of a slipper. And its uh, tail was big. probably a foot and a half. <sighs> thing was gigantic. So I picked it up with my little grabber thing, stuck it in a bag, you know, sent it off to garbage can land. <laughs> wow. Oh, my, my, my. There's something nice to wake up to after surgery. I know. Oh, yeah. And then on our way to the hospital one day, right, Knife River Dump Truck Company dumped a giant boulder on our windshield, on our Kia, and smashed the windshield. That happened. We're still fighting with them to get them to pay for it. It was just like a $600 windshield, right? Because it has the all the wiring in it and all that kind of stuff. So all this stuff is going on. Wait wait a second. 
You didn't tell me that part of the story. Were you parked somewhere and it dumped it on it? No, she was on. She was on. A, she was on the way between North Albany oh, and Corvallis. Flew out of the truck, and it flew out of the truck. And you know what Knife River asked, or the insurance company asked her? They asked her, "Well, did you actually see the boulder fly out of the truck and hit your windshield? Did you see it come out?" She goes, "No, the truck passed me. I saw it falling from the sky. A, a meteor coming out." Right. <laughs> So there you go. But those aren't wines because I'm not, I promised in November I wasn't going to whine. Then the heart attack happened. So I am promising that uh, this month I'm not doing any whining because I am very grateful to be alive. Attitude of gratitude. Absolutely. Absolutely. You betcha. 100%. Okay, everybody, pump the brakes. Remember, okay. Monty Man isn't going to whine or complain right. about anything on this show. So, surprise, surprise, no <laughs> whining this week again. Okay? Okay. But what we have for you instead is a very mm. strange and interesting story to share. Yes. So, Monty Man, if you can... Hold back from complaining. Take know. it away with the strange story <laughs> number two. All right. Uh, Denver, you're going to appreciate this. I uh, probably will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let me preface this by saying that if you have a weird, bizarre story that you'd like us to share on the air, <laughs> please send it in. <laughs> Please yeah. keep it family rated um, or send it in and I'll edit that part out. But uh, if you got a bizarre story, a weird criminal story or some sort of bizarre drug and alcohol story or recovery story or just something crazy, send it in to us because they're fun. Well, this is strange story number two. So just when you thought you had heard of every kind of addiction known to man, surprise, here comes one you may not have been expecting. Most people try to avoid getting hacked, but for some men, it's the goal. Welcome to the world of findums. Ever heard of this? Mm -hmm. Findums or financial domination. Essentially, men give over their information to women and allow them to take money from their accounts, purchase products for themselves online, etc., as a form of submission that they find pleasurable. That's weird, money. And it's not simply a few people who do this. There are entire online communities who congregate using hashtags like hashtag find them and hashtag pay pig. So do you understand what I'm saying here? What's going on? I understand, but... Uh, can you can you believe this? <laughs> no, I can't believe it. Well, check this out. Check this out. One Florida man... Florida, not surprising. Oh, that says it all. Right that there. does, right? <laughs> right? Yep. One Florida man is so hooked on the addiction of financial submission that when his financial dominatrix completely drained his bank account, he took out a second mortgage on his $2.5 million mansion and turned over 50% of his cash earnings to the little lady in green, only to watch her burn the cash around a campfire while he made s'mores and received the more than strange dopamine increase that fueled this incredibly weird and bizarre addiction. 
Oh my that God. is just beyond insane. Insane. Yeah, find him. Financial domination. What do you think, Denver? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is a family show. I'm going to leave it alone. Oh, my goodness. I'm just glad I'm just an alcoholic in recovery. <laughs> so when she dress up, you know, in leather and uh, have a whip, and instead of whipping him, she... It's a she, twisted little she world, the Monty. <laughs> Going to whip that that's, cash. That's why God don't give me any money. Yeah. <laughs> he knows I, what I'll get. I, he, knows I, that you're twisted. <laughs> he knows how twisted you are. <laughs> I always said God will never make me rich, and he oh knows my why. <laughs> and I understand, too. You know, Jeez. you give me too much money, I'm liable to lose it. So <laughs> I get enough to get by. That's about it. I am sorry. I don't, I don't believe I'd burn it, though. I mean, or let yeah. somebody else do it while you're I'll making s'mores. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm just blown away by that. Me, too. Yeah. Florida gives birth to a lot of strange and interesting going on. Did somebody send you that story? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, they did. They did. That's pretty um, uh Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty strong. Wow. So out there. So, so listen, we want those stories. We want those kind of stories. <laughs> um so a, a, a recovery podcast called Recovery 101 uh Bruce and Shelley, they're no longer doing that show, but they would have strange stories like that. Uh, on and I thought that hey they're not doing their show anymore so let's pick it up and continue it Wait, I, was that a confession or how did that come in no it did just there... came it just came in as, as a story that that a listener sent in yeah I don't know if it was a confession or not <laughs> maybe it was yeah was it what so the person you know who you are that sent that in is that a confession <laughs> you, you What's know who on? you are <laughs> because if you if you burned 50% of uh, millions you know i'll take the other 50 yeah we'll put it to good use i promise to burn at least $1000 you know i'll burn the ones that's what makes your boat float <laughs> lord have mercy oh my goodness sake so send in your stories send them to take 12 radio at comcast Dot net. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll be back right after the break. <laughs> Don't go away. Hey, check it out. You can now access all of our shows from a variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, Podomatic, and Player FM. Simply search for Take 12 Recovery Radio, and you'll be tuned into the best in recovery broadcast journalism. Also available at Take12Radio.com. Hey, this is Tommy Holmes, and you're listening to Take12Radio.com. Recovery talk and positive music with the Monty Man. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show after triple bypass and many weird goings on at the uh, Good Samaritan Hospital. I, I just have to say, those people were absolutely amazing. Uh, the staff at Good Samaritan, uh, you know, they have uh, a whole cardiac unit up there. And uh, 
you know, with with all the the weirdness and the the embarrassing moments and the horribly uncomfortable beds and reclining chairs that the reclining chair that I slept in a lot, it was broke. So whenever they had to adjust it, it would kind of collapse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was really bad. But the people, the the attitude and the compassion and just the way they treated us, it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, so kudos to those guys. All right. So the topic on this show uh, is respecting the newcomer. And the reason I, I picked this topic is because um, not always is the newcomer, and I'm talking about the person who's new to recovery, coming in specifically to the the rooms of the 12-step fellowships and other recovery support settings, recovery support meetings. Uh, people that have never been there before, people that are maybe checking it out for the first time, um, maybe they've been there once and they didn't know what to think and they came back, or, or whatever, but they're relatively new or brand new. And some of them are, maybe they're there from the nudge of a judge, maybe they're there as an ultimatum from uh, a friend, a family member, Maybe they're there because they've just had enough and they don't know what else to do. Um, maybe they're scared, embarrassed. They just don't know which way's up. And it's all they can do to walk through that door. <coughs> and they make it through that door. And whether they sit down at the first chair they see next to the door or in the middle of the room, or on the other side of the room, no matter where they sit, right? They are still brand new, and it's tough. And it's tough. They may be angry. They may be bitter. They may have resentment because they feel like they're forced to be there. They may be beating themselves up. They may be extremely humble and ready for some positive change. And, and, and everything in between, right? Yeah. Every, everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. So before we actually talk about the proper way to treat those folks or not to treat those folks, what about you guys? Margie, when you first walked in the doors, what what were you what were you thinking? How were you feeling? Well, when I first walked in the doors of AA, I was uh who was gosh, almost thirty years ago and it was in Salem. Um, I had I, I I knew I needed to stop drinking, and I had stopped, but it was probably like my third day sober. Never been to AA before ever. Mm -hmm. I went to this club um, in Salem called the SOS Club. Ah, yes. And uh, I didn't know any better. I didn't know there was churches and things that had meetings, and I was kind of surprised, I guess, and scared. It was a pretty gnarly club a lot of biker guys and rough looking people and you know but I went and uh I kept going and uh it, it was it was scary it why, was really why did you scary. go back was there something that attracted you yeah it was just the fact that these people you know despite their exterior roughness they um they were like me they you know didn't want to drink mm. and they they had drinking problems and you know being brand new to the program I had 
never I I didn't know that that there was this whole group of people that got together and talked about their problems and and that there was a solution um and you know ultimately my neighbor who come to find out he ended up giving me my first big book and he told me to that Margie there are actually churches you can go to for AA and so I ended up going to a a church not that there's anything wrong with this SOS club at all it's just um it was a little softer, easier for me to go to the a little the different churches. environment. But you know, yeah. I still went back to that SOS club on on Saturday nights for a, mm-hmm. a meeting they had every Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before you walked in the doors, though, what kind of impression had you received from TV, literature, whatever? How did you hear about Alcoholics Anonymous? What what was your preconceived ideas well it was a long time ago but you know I don't know that I had a lot of preconceived ideas you know I I should have because I mean I went to college I graduated I was educated I was a professional in my career but mm-hmm. I really didn't know you didn't know nothing about AA um, at that time so it was all really new to me was it was there something in you that said okay these two letters AA Something about that means there's help. Was there at least that? Yeah. 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 Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, somebody somewhere must have mentioned it to me Mm -hmm. or I did a little research or something, but um, I just knew I needed help because I was to the point where, you know, I had two little children. I couldn't stop drinking. I drank from morning until night. I was passed out all the time for my children and, I, I just knew I my life had to change, mm-hmm. so I thought you know I gotta I gotta give this a try. So was there more that attracted you at that first meeting than detracted you? There was there was because you came back. Yeah, absolutely. Just yeah. the fact that you know I felt um, I nobody was um, everybody was welcoming. You know, despite the fact that I was, I was kind of different than their average member, but not, not really. You know, I was yeah. a drunk just like everybody else. But <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. I just, I just felt like I had a chance if I, if I kept going to those meetings. You didn't, you didn't feel condemned or like people were looking down at you or no, judging not, you or anything. Not really. I really didn't. Nice. I, now in the in the nice. future. Um, in years to come, because um, I've been in and out of AA a lot, there were times where I would go back after being out for a while, and I I felt judged, kind of, um, yeah. you but, know. But for somebody uh, that was brand new, you didn't. <clears throat> no, I didn't. Right, I didn't. Right, Denver. What about you? What was your experience? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <laughs> the very first time. I mean, the very first time you walked well. through any kind of. Support uh, uh, system that was going to address your alcoholism. All right. There's a couple experiences that mm-hmm. have always just stuck with me, and they always will. Uh, early, early in 90s, probably, I went to a, a meeting down in Cresswell, and I come to find out later they were the AA Nazis. Ah. I walked into that meeting, and they uh, took an inventory, the boy with his boots up on the desk and his worn out easy chair <laughs> took an e uh an inventory on me 
and told me just what I wasn't. So explain that. What, what, I mean, you walked in, and he was he checking you up one oh, yeah. side and down the other? Yeah, and... as I walked in the door. Really? I said, hi, I'm here for a meeting. And he said things I'm not going to even repeat today. Oh, wow. That really bothered me. Uh-huh. And I never went back to that meeting again, and I said, uh, screw AAA. Cause that was, so that was your first impression? That was my first. Of the fellowship. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, when you ask... Where did I learn about it? I don't know either exactly where I picked up the AA label, mm-hmm. but I knew that uh, I I heard that it helped people, mm-hmm. and I was down to uh, I need to try something different because what I'm doing ain't working. Yeah. So, and then I went back out for uh, quite some time. Never Drinking. touched. Yeah, never touched that idea again. And I ended up in Sweet Home at uh, Survivors up there. And uh, I walked. Was that the in. hut, or was no, that, no, the that church? was down at the Methodist Church. At the Methodist there. Church, okay. Yeah. Upstairs in the loft. Uh, no, it was down. Oh, it was down, sir. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I ended up there, and I walked in, sat down at the tables, and I didn't realize uh, that they separated men from women. So I walked in, and there's a couple members there, and I know everybody knows Mick. From right, up, up there. he was but, my first sponsor. Yeah, yeah, I love the guy. You know, yeah. So he's across the table, and I thought, well, I'll sit over here because I don't really know you, and you know, and we can look at each other. Mm-hmm. I come to find out that was on the women's side of the table. I didn't, know that, <laughs> I didn't know they separated people up there. Oh, so, they, so they had they actually, but in the same same meeting. Yes, they the had, women sat on one side and the men sat on the other. Yes, really. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. And, Did you know and, that, Marv? No, I didn't. And, and Mick Mick knew that, and he's looking at me smiling. And I guess you know, <laughs> here over time, as all the women are sitting on my side, and I'm thinking, man, I'm lucky. <laughs> no, wrong idea here. <laughs> Anyways, I that's fell funny. in love with that meeting, and that's where I actually got pretty involved. So, what was it about that meeting though that that brought you back to that one? Hillbillies. Oh, they, okay. They were. You know what? It's like you said we're drunks or what we're there for the same purpose yeah you know uh, and these people were simple enough mm. they weren't uppity like the guy with his boots up there on the desk right. telling me what i ain't gonna be here right who right. i am these people were pretty simple now there's gruff ones there mind you that i didn't uh, you know they kind of mm-hmm. scared mm-hmm. me they scared me because i'm new mm-hmm. but there was other ones that were pretty uh common and i could listen to them Right. I learned a long time ago at meetings, I don't always want to talk. I want to listen. Sure. So. Sure. Yeah, it kept me coming back for quite a few years up there. Now, Marv, your first meeting was actually, unbeknownst to you, God was working on something in your life, but you thought you were there for somebody else. Right? Well, I was. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I was while well, Margie and Denver were talking. I was I was thinking about it. Um, you know, God was in the whole thing. Yeah, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Um, but part of my deal is uh, most people don't know this, but I had a profound spiritual experience uh, three or four years before I ever went to AA. Oh. And in that time period, I did a lot of studying. I uh, went to church. Um, uh, my whole life had turned upside down because of that spiritual experience. 
And so uh, I say this quite a bit. When I went for my alcoholic wife to the meeting, right? I had preconceived ideas of what spirituality meant. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, it meant Christ to me. Right. And um, it's really strange how this worked because uh, I'm not a very socialistic, gregarious type person. And, uh, you know, you were talking about being scared or whatever. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest with you, I was. I I, uh, I didn't really want to go, you know, but mm-hmm. I'm bound to determine that in my mind I'm supposed to, that I needed to go. Mm-hmm. And what was strange about it is uh, the first thing I saw when I walked in the room was the 12 steps and the traditions on the wall. And I quickly went over them, and there was not one word about Christ. And so immediately uh, I started to disregard the whole thing. I thought, no, there's something wrong here, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And that's just my own narrow-mindedness. Right. Um, but the interesting thing is I wasn't in the meeting 20 minutes or a half hour when the profound thought occurred to me, I need to change my way of thinking. And I didn't know what that meant. Yeah, There was just this profound intuitiveness that struck me and... As as you know, I went later and talked to a pastor of a church, and right. he said, "Marv, don't question it; it works." And then I had a—I'm trying to shorten this up, but I had another experience on the drive home that confirmed to me that uh, AA was uh, okay; there was nothing wrong. Yeah, and so I was at peace with it. Mm-hmm. The other part of it, though, is I never did for a long time felt comfortable uh, because of my own personal uh, thing about people. I, I, it took me a while to get over that. Yeah. I, and I still have that, a little bit of that. Because uh, so. there's an element of social interaction within meetings. Yeah. Um, just because unless it's just you and one other person, right, and even that's social, but you know what I mean, and, and that's not always comfortable for you, yeah. right, a lot of people and yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because you, you, you bring up a point that seldom do I hear anybody bring this up, but I had a similar experience in the sense of um, – I was a Christian and I didn't see anything about Christ in the meetings, right? Um, But I read it in the big book on page 11 where Bill's talking about his experience with Christ, you know, and um, the idea of Christ. And so so I saw that and I thought, oh, I'm going to read the rest of this book. After I read Bill's story. It interests me, and nobody told me to do that, right? But I was like, I, I hear a lot, you know, in meetings I will hear people say, if I saw Christ in any of the literature, I would never have come back. And yet I'm like, I'm glad I did, because it is what brought me back. 
and we we have a tendency to 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 not think that way. We think, well, if you in fact, I've heard people say that have been going to meetings for years. If I had seen God on the wall, I would not have come back. And yet, God was on the wall several times. <laughs> the word God, uh, and they're still there. <laughs> they did come back. Yeah. Um, so we assume that. If Jesus is spoken, people aren't going to come back. But there's a lot of people that don't come back because it's not, because he's not spoken. So we should not make those assumptions that, you know, I, I'm like, you know, some people say, well, if I didn't hear a lot of cussing, I wouldn't have felt at home. Well, I didn't like, I didn't appreciate all the cussing. I didn't feel at home because I'm just not the cussing kind of guy. I'm just not that guy. So there's all these different experiences we have, and yet all three of us kept coming back something brought us back and i i think that's the power of god doing that um because i was very close-minded about some things too um you know the other part real quick too i'll yeah. say is <clears throat> when i first uh started on that journey uh one of my character defects was uh either things were right or they were wrong they were black or they were yeah, white. Yeah, very black and white thing. Yeah. And so I went into AA with a belly full of scripture, which in my mind was regimented and that was right. Sure. And anything beside that was wrong. So I had that going against me because of my preconceived ideas. And what AA has taught me, and I hope people hear this, is that with God, don't put him in a box. Because there is so much gray area that AA, particularly in my case anyway, has shown me that uh, it really allowed me to kind of let go of that old regimental mm. do's and don'ts mm -hmm. and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I, I saw a post on Facebook this morning. It said, the problem isn't so much letting God in as it is letting God out. Yeah. And I thought, boy, that's good. Right, letting him out of that box that we put him in, but we're and when we do that, we actually bring him down to our level, right? And we put those boundaries on him, and he's so much bigger than mm -hmm. our boundaries mm -hmm. in, in our levels. So let's talk about respecting the newcomer. Um, many of us have experienced. Oh ooh, goodness! Ooh, ooh! Denver's getting a call. Who is it, Denver? I have no idea. <laughs> it's his Bucky. To, forgot to silence. It's, it, says, it says Monty. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm trying to get to the volume on it. It's funny. Um, is mine off? I don't even know. Mine's yeah. Off. Uh, we, we didn't get that. Uh, ad return to call screen. Um. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> wow. That was fun. Um, yeah, I apologize. Most of us, if we've been around a while, it, it, you know, here, here's a statement I heard one time. If you don't think there's there's not any bad meetings, you haven't been to enough meetings. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, could be your first one. Because <laughs> I've, I've heard people say, oh, there's no such thing as a bad meeting. I understand the sentiment behind that because depending on your mindset uh, and your maturity level uh, in recovery, you can take what somebody might perceive as a bad meeting and flip that on its head and really benefit from it and really get some really good stuff out of it, right? Uh, but not everybody's at that point. 
And like I said uh, at the beginning of the show, a lot of people, people when they come in, they're at a whole different different places in their mindset and their heart and their their fears and um, their anticipations and all that kind of thing. Uh, and if you've been around long enough, you've probably heard people being mistreated. You've probably uh, had an occasion to hear somebody tell somebody who is relatively new, if not brand new, to shut up, sit down, take the cotton out of your mouth, uh, I mean, out of your ears, shove it in your mouth and listen. Now, I actually haven't heard that for a while, but I know it still goes on. Um, I'm not so sure why, because I don't see that in the big book anywhere. I don't see it in the any basic text. I don't see it in any of the literature from Celebrate Recovery or any of the other mainstream groups, Cocaine Anonymous, any of those guys, to where we shame somebody who's brand new. But I know it happens. Why does it happen? Why do people feel like they got to control the guy who's brand new and put him in his place? Your thoughts? Marv? Oh. I need to think about it a minute. Okay. We'll come, <laughs> we'll come back to you, Margie. Well, it seems like uh, it would be, a, just in my humble opinion, uh, personality, character defect on the part of the person doing the shaming because... Um, you know, maybe they have low self-esteem. You know, mm -hmm. maybe they um, their program isn't strong. Um, maybe they feel the need to um, feel better than others. Um, you know, it's some some of those character defects, and um, I, you know, I don't know. It's sad when that happens, but. You know, I specifically remember when I had about um, right around five years sobriety, um, I would go to meetings and somebody would come in and say, oh, you know, I relapsed. And I remember thinking, how could you do that? You know, how could you how could you drink again? I, I would never do that. I'll never do that. <laughs> and, you know, I always say God has a sense of humor because like uh, I made it like five years, but. And then since then, I've basically been in and out for all kinds of different periods of time relapsing. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I just feel like um, people that treat others with that that way possibly have character defects of their own. Possibly their program is um, not strong. That's That's all I can think of, really. Yeah. Yeah, so why do you think you got treated at your first meeting by the guy with the boots on the desk, Denver? <laughs> I mean, I mean, looking back it, at it now, not not from the viewpoint when you've experienced it, but now. Right, and I have a hard time shaking that out of me with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, maybe it is his character defect that shone brightly that day to me yeah. i don't know uh, possibly he found sobriety through somebody that talked that way to him ah, and okay. maybe he did care for me and he was just going to uh tough love me right but i didn't need that at that time you know mm -hmm. i didn't it's my first time ever in a meeting i'm scared shit excuse me sure but i mean it just that one hit me totally wrong yeah but Looking back, like I said, he may have found sobriety that way. 
that wasn't how I was going to find it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, so so there's... Uh, so my experience was, uh, as somebody who had lived on the streets, they chewed me up and spit me out. I didn't need somebody else to chew me up and spit me out. Right. You know, um, my, my first experience, my very first meeting I ever attended was in Stockton, California. And some of you have heard the story before, but I, I walked in... It was a very narrow, long room. It had those eight-foot tables end-to-end, and you could barely walk behind somebody because that's how narrow the room was. And at one end, there was a fan in a broken window with uh, blackberry bushes coming through the window, intertwined with the fan. You know, the smoke in there was like pea soup. This is back when you could smoke in the meetings. And you'd walk in you'd open up this glass door and smoke would come billowing out, right? It was right next door to, I think it was an Alano club. Um, and this old codger looks at me and he goes, kid, are you an alcoholic? No, he goes, kid, are you a drug addict? <laughs> it was an AA meeting. And I said, I don't, I don't know what I am. Well, whatever you are, you're in the right place. And he patted my hand, right? And he pulled the chair out. And I sat down and I instantly felt like I was going to be okay. Um, The second meeting I ever attended, I had a t-shirt on with a a fish on the pocket, a Christian fish on the pocket. Nobody knew that. It was just a fish. It was just my Christian t-shirt that I had. And the chairperson got up, met me at the door and told me that Jesus freaks weren't welcome there. And and so I left. And I went back to the smoke-filled room in, in the other part of Stockton, California. And I went back there. And I, and I always felt like God allowed me to see both sides of the, of the fence. Right? You're going to have these guys and you're going to have these guys. You know, so you get to pick which one you want to go to. Right? Just like what what's your favorite grocery store? What church you want to attend? Where where do you want to eat? Right there is there's enough meetings, there's enough fellowships around where you can find your home, uh, and you don't have to put up with the mistreatment. It was years later that somebody actually threw a rock through the back of my windshield at my home group that I had been a member of for years, and told me. To get out of there because I was, you know, we don't we don't want you, you Jesus freak. I ne- I never I never found out who that was. I stopped the car. I rolled down the window. I looked back, and everybody scattered. Never did know who that was. But it brought me back to the memory of that second meeting, and I thought, what is going on? The fact is, we're going to have people who disrespect each other within the fellowship. And we're going to have people that highly respect and honor each other in their fellowship. And we cannot allow the people that are being disrespectful to push us out of a seat that we work so hard to get to. Um, But there's something to be said about training. There's something to be said about sponsorship. You know, we, we know that that over 60% of the people in 12-step support meetings today do not 
utilize sponsors. We we know that um, there are seminars and uh, training courses for GSRs and and uh, chair people and you know all sorts of things that that people don't go to or attend. You know, I think we could do better in our twelve step meetings as far as that stuff goes. How quickly are we putting people behind that chair position up front um, without really qualifying them? Just because they have a certain amount of time, should we be sticking them behind the mic? I don't know. What do you think, Marv? Well, <clears throat> that's one of the things I was thought of when I asked you to give me time to think. Yeah. How important a chairperson is in a meeting. My sponsor years ago used to say to me, he said, you know what, the, the chairperson sets the tone of the meeting. You bet. And if the, you know, um, <clears throat> a lot of these people get up there in chair and they're putting on a show. And, um, and so then coming back to the original topic of the newcomer, how does that make a newcomer feel? Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know about anybody else, but I can pick up on uh, um, the fact that somebody's sincere or not sincere. Or, I mean, I'm not stupid. I'm alcoholic. <laughs> you know, you know, that's the way with most people, yeah. right? You know, they right. they know. Yeah. And then the other thing you mentioned too was sponsors, and I have seen this. I'll bet you guys have too, through the years. That uh, after you're around a while, you get to know who's sponsoring who, and if nothing sure. else, just by association. Yeah. And uh, also, I've noticed uh, in that happening how much the sponsee turns into being like the sponsor. Sure. So if the sponsor is a Nazi, thump the big book, regimental, this is by golly the way it's going to be, right. his sponsee's going to be He's that, be way, that way. way, and that's the way they're going to treat a newcomer. Yeah. So True enough. Very, very true. Uh, it, it's amazing to me. When you when you when you look at the um, the family tree uh, of the sponsee and their sponsor and their sponsor and yeah. their sponsor, um, I, I I can't tell you how many times I've heard people misquote the big book, or take something out of context, or say something is in the literature that isn't even in there, uh, you know, like because and, and not at their fault, because their sponsor told them that, or and their sponsor told them that. Well, my sponsor wouldn't lie to me, right? And so they're they're getting these things, you know, from a family history, a sponsor family history of stuff that's inaccurate. And so then what we end up having is somebody that is teaching something that is other than what is actually in the book. And then somebody catches that and sees that, it's very frustrating. Um, because you can do a lot of damage. I mean, it's it's like... It's like repairing a broken vehicle. You know, if I want to repair the 57 Chevy, I don't take the manual from the Volkswagen. <laughs> but we're doing that a lot of the time. Um, one of the pieces of literature that slid under the the door uh, just barely is is called uh, a, a little yellow pamphlet called Living Sober. Mm-hmm. Right? 
if you read Living Sober and you read the big book, you would swear it's two different fellowships. Uh, and, and and so if I'm if I'm teaching that or or the twelve and twelve, if you're teaching that the twelve and twelve is the guide for working the steps and not the big book, you're going to misguide people because that is not the directions for working the steps. Those are commentaries. The, those those are it's an a it's a wonderful wonderful helps for it. In fact, we we have a show that we did after walking through the big book called Walking Through the 12 and 12 uh, that you can download for fun and for free here at Take12Radio.com by clicking on Recovery Workshops. Um, and it's very helpful, but it's not the formula for working the steps. That's in the big book. But a lot of people are teaching something other than that because they were taught that. So there's a lot of misinformation going on. Uh, but I think that I think respecting somebody that's new, showing them grace, showing them mercy, giving them, you know, room to breathe, to make mistakes, to say the wrong thing without being criticized publicly. Meeting them right where they're at. Meeting them right where they're at will cover a multitude of sins of all the other stuff. Because... You're going to keep or lose that person in that first hour to an hour and a half. And if you have a smoke break, you may lose them at the break. And I, I people say, well, then they weren't ready. No, 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 no. That's a cop-out. That is a cop-out. If you're treating them rudely or you're correcting them publicly um, and they take off, right, you got to take some responsibility for that. Because they're not mature enough to let that roll off their shoulders yet. Mm -mm. They're just not. Um, And and how often, how often I've seen people that are brand, and I've been guilty of this, people that are brand new come in and nobody talks to them. And, and, you know, the chairperson will say, is there anybody here for their first meeting ever? And the person said, hi, I'm Fred. Um, everybody goes, hi, Fred, and that's it. Nothing else. And at the smoke break or afterwards, everybody goes their separate ways and not one person says hi to Fred. That can be disrespectful. But how refreshing it is when you see somebody go up to Fred, right? And not just pour him a cup of coffee, but sit next to them or hand them one of the IP pamphlets, or do you have a big book? I've been in meetings where they, they say, hey, we got a big book for you. And they'll send it around the meeting, everybody will sign it, and they'll hand it to the guy. That's amazing stuff. You know, are these conventions where the person has the least amount of time, they'll put them on their shoulders, and they'll take them up to the front, and they'll give them a big book. You know, that stuff like that gives me goosebumps. I've seen Marv buy several big books for brand new newcomers yeah. at meetings. Yeah, that's 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 good stuff. Mm-hmm. What are they? Are they still like ten bucks, or are they more now? Oh, yeah, nine fifty ten. Yeah, nine fifty ten. One of the few pieces of literature that doesn't go up in price, right? right? Um, but to put something in a newcomer's hand, right? Not just a phone number. Mm-hmm. If that's all you got, that's fine. Um, the other thing that I think is very shows a lot of respect for the newcomer is when you put your phone number down and you actually answer it. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? That that's a two way street <laughs> though too. You know, expound you, on that. You, well, you know how many for times I've given up my phone number and never got a call. Never got. A oh, call. I know. Me too. <laughs> me too. Me too. But there are people that put their phone number down and they they don't want to give you the time of day. Yeah. You know, and that's disrespectful. You know. Mm. But I I, I I know, I know. Um, and I and I've put I've put my name I put down, Monty Man, Monty M, Monty Meyer, <laughs> Meyer, Monty. I mean, I've done it a million different ways, right? Um, I had, a, I'll never forget. I had a lady, uh, it was, it was in a 12 step, a different 12 step fellowship. Um, uh, she, she chastised me for using my last name in the fellowship. And I, I was pretty new to that fellowship and I thought, oh, wow, I, I blew that. Well, then I found out later that it's actually in the literature, um, in Alcoholics Anonymous, not in this other fellowship, but in Alcoholics Anonymous, there is conference-approved literature that says there is no place for personal anonymity within the fellowship. That we actually are to use our last names within the fellowship. But I didn't know that, right? So I I was like, then, and so what I did, Marv, is like what you're saying. I heard that, and so then everybody that I heard use their last name, I chastised them. Oh, we're not supposed to do that. Because oh. that's what I was taught, right? Yeah. It, it, it's wild. So, what can we do better? Let me go around the room. What can we do better when it comes to the newcomer <coughs> respecting them? Denver? <laughs> Sit next to them. Sit Di- next to them. <laughs> Direct them to the men's side, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Be kind, all right? Just be that, kind. Yeah, be kind. And, yeah. and give them a little space because they are scared. Yeah. You know? Sure. Don't be pushy. Offer. Speak right. speak when they ask and uh, go from there. Margie? Okay, do uh, we better? Well, okay, when a, a meeting that I go to frequently uh, has a tradition where when there's a brand new newcomer enter the room, they focus on the first step and and then the whole focus of the meeting is directed toward this brand new person. And I I have some concerns about that. That can be uncomfortable. Because right? yeah. I feel like uh, someone especially brand new to the program, yeah. um, number one, they're they're probably embarrassed. I mean, they may be embarrassed, I should say. They may be shameful. They they may feel like hell. Uh, they don't want anybody to know, know they're there. You know, all kinds of things that could be going through their head. And I don't know that that putting all that attention on them their first time in AA is the right thing to do. But yet, um, you know, there's the the good part of it and kind of telling them that we've been there. So I guess just um, like Denver said, you know, give them some space, give them a little kindness. Um, just like Marv said, meet them where they're at and just do the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. Marv, what can we do better? Well, one of the things I've noticed through the years is uh, the, I'll say it this way, the attack on the newcomer. And it's kind of like what Margie's <laughs> saying about the first step meetings. In a way, you're you're just kind of, you're in on top right. of them, you know, and they're, they're right. just. <laughs> Spotlight. You know, yeah, deer in the headlight type thing. Um, uh, you know, there's a word um, called discernment. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, to me, what that part of what that means is being observant and paying attention to what it is you see. In this case, it would be what you see in a newcomer. Because if you're really observant, you can see they're scared to death. Yeah. Or maybe they're uh, angry and contempt because they have to be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, from I usually I'll step back and I'll watch and I'll pay mm-hmm. attention. Um, the one thing I do, and I started doing this uh, a while back, not the whole time I've been in AA, is I started trying to let them know that they're valuable. Mm. Because so many of us, I included, uh, we come in and we think we're garbage. We're the bottom of the ocean, worthless. And so yeah. somehow or another, I, it, not always, but most of the time, I try to tell them, hey, you know what? You are of great value. And, um, but I don't, uh, normally it'll take me a while to come up to them. Uh, mainly when I hear something that, uh, I can say, oh, maybe I can help them with this. Or I hear an experience that I've had and how I got through that experience or something like that. But, um, I know I didn't like it. Uh, in the beginning when people did that to me and there was a lot of old timers in my first meeting and they were like vultures hmm. you know patience my ass let's eat somebody you know <laughs> <laughs> and, and when the meeting was over boom here they come you right, know, right. like ugly on a and, oh, that's and, hilarious. Uh, anyway uh, just some discernment and uh, respect yeah yeah. And letting them know, hey, you're valuable. We're glad you're yeah. here. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> and so I think one of the things we could do better <laughs> is if a newcomer doesn't know the lingo, because not all newcomers are shy. Some newcomers are very vocal, mm-hmm. right? They like to talk. It might be a defense mechanism, you know, or it just might be that's the way they are. And if they say something wrong that isn't part of the lingo, don't publicly shame them. Don't correct them. Come on. If they say Jesus, let them be. If they say Muhammad, let them be. If they say, I'm an atheist, I don't know if I buy this God stuff, let them be. Yep. I, thank God they're there, you know. But but don't, I mean, come on now. Uh, just let them be who they are. You know, one of the things that I, going back to that old codger that asked me, are you a drug kid? Are you a drug addict? (laughs) And when I said, I don't know what I am, well, you're in the right place. That told me it didn't matter where I was. I was in the right place and he didn't care. You know what I mean? And man, because, because nine times out of 10, what I am spewing out of my mouth when I'm hurting probably isn't how I really feel deep down inside anyway. But if I know that I'm okay to be just who I am at that moment, no matter what I believe, don't believe love, hate, whatever in between, but I'm okay in that chair. I'm going to come back. Yeah. I'm going to come back. And isn't that the point? So the hand 
of recovery needs to be not one that slaps you in the face, but one that welcomes you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think people, they're either going to remember us, oh, that's that guy that jumped down my throat, or that's that gal that corrected me, or they're going to remember us, us as, you know what, that person let me be me. And I'd much rather be remembered that way. There'll be plenty of time, you know, for a little spank on the rear end. <laughs> right? Yeah. My sponsor gave me a few of those. But he was patient. And, and he, he knew when it was appropriate to correct me. And it was never... There, there's a slogan out there. Um, correct privately, reward publicly. You know, and, and he and he was quick to do that. So what are you doing, listeners out there, to respect the newcomer? Um, in your attempt to help, are you being a hindrance? Are you being respectful and giving them dignity to be who they are? All right. Our closing song, and this is in jest, okay, because um, it's kind of a serious topic, but I thought... In Jess, we'll do this. This is a song by Michael Purrington called Newcomer in Love. (laughs) (laughs) So take it tongue in cheek. um, And then uh, we'll close out uh, after the song is over. Here's Michael Purrington with the song Newcomer in Love. I promptly admitted I was powerless over you And to thine own self I promised to be true The program and you are a blessing from above The big book and the way you look are all I'm thinking of it's great to be a newcomer in love.
never be boring, dull, or plumb. We'll be the Bill and Lois of the new millennium. We'll fill our lives with wisdom and serenity. Someday we'll have a house full of little sponsees. The program and you are a blessing from above. The big book and the way you look are all I'm thinking of. Gee, it's great to be a new Michael Perrington and the Messengers with their song, Newcomer in Love. Hey, listen, if you want more of Michael's music, in fact, if you want more recovery music in general, visit our webpage at take12radio.com. Scroll down and click on the Recovery Music banner, and there you will see a number of different recovery music broadcasts that you can download for fun and for free. Listen, if you're a newcomer and you're brand new to this show or to the Rooms of Recovery, you are welcome and you are wanted in the rooms and on this broadcast. We love you, we care about you, and we're reminding you that until our next broadcast, we are wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye now. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. She's a super cat, super cat, she's super kitty, meow. Yeah, kitty, 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 meow. <laughs>